So in First uh, Peter three, fifteen, it says this. But in your hearts, set a set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who give who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So we're in this series called How to Defend Your Faith and Stay Friends. And so we've been going through the series. And a couple weeks ago, I said, you know, it's 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 amazing how Christians always have to answer the difficult questions of the universe. We're always the ones answering the questions and everybody else is asking the questions. And somehow, if we don't have an answer, there's no God. So I said, we, what we need to do is start asking some questions of other people, not to be obnoxious, not to be pushy, not to be sarcastic, but to help people see the um, how sometimes meaningless their worldview really is and helping them to see the the meaninglessness of their worldview and how they ha- how they have no if they're right, they actually have no purpose. It helps people understand and start to think through why they believe what they believe and maybe maybe bring them to change their mind. So this morning, um, I want to it's kind of part two of our our talk from last week, our sermon from last week. Last week, we started again asking those questions. All right. And what we really asked was, first and foremost, what is the first cause of the universe? Okay, what is the first cause of all things? And we started walking through the process of evolution, this whole concept of evolution, this whole process of evolution, and started to ask questions about it, started to challenge some of those things. We asked, for example, how did the universe, okay, how did the universe come into existence? What is the first cause? How did the universe come into existence? How did life originate? Okay. How, how did life actually originate? Where are all the expected millions of transitional fossils? If we evolved, there's supposed to, there should be millions of transitional fossils, very easy to find. Where are, where are they all? How did they find soft tissue in a 60 to 80 million year old fossil, multiple fossils, an 80 million year old duckbill dinosaur, soft tissue in the femur, and a 68 million year old, supposedly 68 million year old T-Rex fossil, femur, they found soft tissue. How is that scientifically possible? With everything that you've ever learned, okay, in science class, how is that possible? How do, how do living fossils remain unchanged for supposed hundreds of millions of years? The coelacanth, we talked about the coelacanth, 400 million years. No change from the fossil record to the coelacanth swimming around right now in the ocean that they said was extinct 60 million years ago. Up, oh, they caught one in 1938. Then you look back in the fossil record, they say, well, it was, it was around for 400 million years. But there's no change. The horseshoe crab, 400 million years, no change. All, all that the earth has supposedly gone through over the past half a billion years, and there's absolutely no change. And there's thousands of, there are thousands of species alive today where the fossil record shows that it's the exact same thing from 800 million years ago to now. How is that possible? So we started asking these questions. So this morning, I have a little backup. His name is Abraham Contempe. He's a scientist, and we've been friends for now like, like 15 years. We call him Abe, okay? So when you talk to him afterward, just call him Abe, 
All right, so we're going to kind of go through a few things. First, I want to get it kind of introduce Abe a little bit by asking him some questions. Um, so, Abe, what is your what is your expertise? Good morning. Um, by great by the grace of God, I'm a chemist by training, uh, um, but now I'm a material scientist. When a material scientist is the act of building materials together, but more for their chemical properties. So when you're in school, they ask you, where just, you know, that your, your assignment is, how did you spend your summer vacation, right? So Abe, where have you spent the last two summers? I've spent my last two summers at Glenn Research Center, the NASA Glenn Research Center, the last two years. Oh, at NASA? Yeah, at NASA. Um, so are you a rocket scientist? <laughs> No. So what you're saying is then, when the rocket scientists can't figure something out, they're calling you, right? Is that what you're saying? He won't say it. Abe is one of about 15 people. NASA called 15 people within the United States, scientists within the United States, to come help them in their, um, in their really, a space program. Correct. And Abe was one of those uh, people that they called to help. Um, how many patents do you have, Abe? Uh, I have nine. Nine? Nine patents. Okay. And then re- I think this summer... Um, you you have another you you have another patent right for Correct. this you gave with the space program you work with the space Correct. program Correct. and you have another patent what was Correct. that one describe uh, the, that yeah the last two so the first summer uh, at NASA was working with the inner planets uh, the you know, the eight planets the solar system the inner planets are Jupiter Neptune Saturn the, the outer planets are Venus Earth Mercury. The outer planets are very cold, very, very cold. We can't even begin to find them. So last summer I worked on Jupiter. One, that's the biggest planet you can think of and how to build a trajectory and build materials that can land, that can survive on the surface of Jupiter. Example, they, they sent a spacecraft, Juno, to Jupiter and it took six years to get there, to get it just to the surface. And then it has to learn, take data for another two years. So what materials can? But this summer, the extreme work with Venus. Can there be life in Venus? What do you do with Venus? But the biggest issue with Venus is the surface of Venus alone is 470 degrees C. Water boils at 100 degrees C. So it's almost four times just the surface. That's if you are about... Two, uh, two to three hundred kilometers away from the surface of Venus. So this summer we're working on materials that can allow the instruments to even get close to Venus to take data. So that material integrity has to be such that it can survive Venus. But the bad thing with Venus is the cloud is all sulfuric acid. It's all toxic things. So so this summer, by God's grace, we invented, um, with my group, invented a material that can help us get closer and closer and closer to Venus. So that's the invention. Excellent. So, I mean, if you're, for everyone, this is for everyone, but one of the reasons I wanted Abe here was that um, as we go through this process and we're talking about these things in apologetics, I'm the pastor, you hear me, you say, yeah, the pastor is supposed to say those kinds of things. And we have the idea sometimes that all scientists are atheists. Well, they have to be, right? They're really (laughs) smart, right? 
And so really smart people, you know, us regular folks believe in God because, you know, we're not that smart. Um, I wanted Abe here. Honestly, I want the younger ones to realize that, you know, when NASA was, you know, the rocket scientists trying to figure out, okay, how, who do we need to call to help us do some of these things? This is one of the people they're calling. Okay, so Abe is a believer in Jesus Christ, loves the Lord with all of his heart. Yep. And he believes that God is the first cause of all things, like everyone here. Um, so, Abe, let me get to my first big question, okay? According to science, can nothing create something? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Abe. Let's no, move on. It doesn't make uh, yeah. sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Yeah, cause, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think the first time I asked you, we were kind of talking about this mm-hmm. last week. You mm-hmm. said, that's ridiculous. Yes. Yes. It was very scientific when yeah. he said it, though. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very, I think the two attributes of human beings that make you say things like that is, is ignorance and lack of humility. Mm. And people perish for lack of knowledge. Mm. There's nothing... I'm a material chemist. There's nothing. I cannot make this paper out of nothing. The reason why people say this is ignorance too. And I will use the, I will use the everyday language and I will use my, the scientific language. I'm from Africa. So I went to school in London. One ho- vacation I went home to see my mom. Then aunties came around and, oh, he's come back home. He's come back home. He's home. But they didn't, they just thought I evolved, right? They didn't have the concept of how I even came home. So my mother never asked me how was your trip. To them, I just evolved. They just saw me. Just appeared, right? Yeah, just appeared like a voodoo, just appeared. <laughs> so I was wondering why haven't they asked me? Because they have a concept that if somebody can transport you to come there. So they are limited by understanding. Example of dr- drilling at home. You can polish your shoes all you can, but you put it in the closet. After one or two days, will there be dust? There will be dust. You don't know how the dust came about. So you are limited by saying, there's dust. To your evolution, it just evolved. But actually, it did not just evolve. It was somewhere before it came to be. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing that can create something but something can create nothing vaporize decompose but still those particles are still something yeah you said you said to me like some, you said that nothing can create something but something can create something what do yeah. you, what do you mean by that yeah something can create something i will quote one of i i when he asked me i said okay let me not just use my own understanding but let me take my three heroes um isaac newton father of calculus right Without his calculations, we would not have all this modern-day physics, astronomy, spectroscopy, optics. Without uh, Galileo, did the telescope, that's why we were able to discover the planets. And then, of course, the father of all, Einstein. And here is what Einstein said. Everyone who is seriously involved in the pursuit of science becomes convinced that there is that there's a spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe. 
Okay, a spirit vastly superior than that of man. So even the co-scientists, we don't actually doubt God. It's only the noisemakers that doubt God. Scientists, if you're actually involved in the pursuit, scientists are involved in the pursuit of truth, the truth about the universe, but not the, the truth to say there is no somebody. No, it's not real science. It's all other things. Here's Galileo. Galileo said, I can calculate the motion of all the planets. But one thing I cannot calculate is the madness of people. So, what that means is, is the madness of people you cannot predict. So, and the same Galileo said, there's a book laid out for us. That book is the universe. The only way to understand this book is by understanding the language of the of the book and the language of the universe is math uh, Jeff has been talking about millions of years all that we say creation in six days when he gave uh, to Noah he told him to build but if you don't understand or study this language you will think it doesn't exist if I speak my African language Jeff will never understand it correct but that doesn't mean that it does not exist so that is the ignorance part mm-hmm. of most people claiming that the that um, that you can create nothing, yeah, nothing from something. Create, nothing can create. Something. Yeah, I give you a piggy bank without money and say, go and bring me a T-shirt from the mall. Can, can you bring it? No. No. Because the means of exchange is that money that's inside. So when you say something can create something, what you're saying is that God is the first cause of all things. He's yes. the one that created. Because yes. if you have nothing, nothing from nothing comes nothing. Yeah. So there has to be something in order for us to be sitting here having a conversation. Correct. And so God is the first cause, cause of all things. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and a, most evolutionists would argue that life randomly originated from a primordial slime on the earth uh, over three billion years ago. So here's my question to you again from a scientific standpoint. Can life originate from non-life? Can, can something that was not alive, not living, become alive, just spring to life as we're told by evolutionists? Again, no. Um, something... The, Okay, being a Christian, they said, you reproduce according to your own kind. You only give what you have. You cannot give what you don't have. Even we use that language every day. If I don't have life, I cannot give life. Period. So, nothing, I work with uh, chemicals. We have the periodic table. Everything here is composed of chemicals. But I cannot in the lab right now go and create a heart that is... I can create an, the diaphragm of the heart and think it has all this. But I cannot make the heart to start pumping except I put something in there. So there is something low perpetual motion. So you cannot from nothing then create something that then will start living. Otherwise the fossils were once living, Correct. The fossils were when living, but now they're fossils. Paleontologists get them, but we've never seen the fossils come back to life. Right. Otherwise, all the, 
dead scientists will start coming back to life. And so we were talking last week. You said that <laughs> <laughs> only in movies, zombie. zombie yeah. You said that uh, we need to make sure that we're not confusing fantasy with reality. And the example that you used with me was you took your mug and you said, "Okay, reality of this mug is not alive." The mug can sit here for a hundred years, a thousand years, a million years, and the mug is not going to come to life. But then what we're supposed to believe is that somehow, given time, more time, that this mug will go from non-living to living. And so that to me, you said basically, you said that's, you used the word ridiculous. Right. Why would you, why would you yeah. say that? The... The thing is, there's always time for everything. If this mug reproduces, then there's no need for reproduction. That means I can self-replicate, but it's not like that. Your hair can self-replicate. It's not like that. That means it to keep growing, growing sometimes. But with you and me, our hair is <laughs> we're losing our hair. There's time. There's if the wood can never become an iron. An iron can never become wood. There are properties defined for that particular element. So nothing can just sit here. If I keep a car in a garage and I don't drive it, it will remain there. If it moves, it's either there's an earthquake or the garage floor, something has to trigger. Otherwise, it will stay exactly where you left it. Right. So if you have a slime pool... A slime pool is going to say a slime pool. It's not going to just burst into, into life. No. Okay. If it bursts into a bacteria, start growing. Bacteria came and inhibited that slime pool. Something. Something caused. Caused something. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so are these, you know, are these discussions that we're having when it comes, are they more philosophical or scientific? Because what happens sometimes is you're intimidated by people who they have a scientific mind or whatever. And if you say that God cause is the first cause of all things, they, they, they come at you sometimes like you're non-intellectual. But are these discussions that we're having right now, are they philosophical or are they scientific from your point of view? Right. In, in, uh I was surprised that the, the issue about evolution, doubting God here, is all philosophy. All philosophical. It's all philosophical. The reality of science, science is, science is an objective subject. It tells you exactly, it can predict. And anything you can predict, that's science. Whether we like it or not, there will be morning, there will be afternoon, there will be evening. Whether we like it or not, we will, there will be Tomorrow, whether I like it or not, that will be a Tuesday. That's predetermined. Who knows when they go to sleep? Who knows the time they go to sleep? What time? Any time between ten and twelve. Okay. No, what time? I didn't say what range of time. Eleven <laughs> twenty. Uh, Eleven twenty. 11, 20. <laughs> that's Jeff going to sleep at eleven twenty. But that's the time he saw the clock last. It doesn't mean that's the exact time he went to sleep. Does that make sense? So nobody sometimes knows the exact time, even science. You don't know the exact time you wake up. The time you saw the alarm clock is not the actual time you woke up. It's just the time you become conscious. So we, we play with, with words 
and numbers. That's why Galileo said, until we understand the language of the universe, God works in codes. Until we understand that, everything will be a mystery. And we are, if we're not humble enough to want to learn that, then we become atheists or we start thinking so. So I got another question for you. Are things, um, are things ordered or are they random? Because we hear this random chance. Random, everything happened by random. If I, if I put this here for long enough, random chance, some, this, this will come to life through, through random chance. Are things ordered in the universe or are they random? Yeah. Things happening is not random. Beginning cannot be random. It's ordered. It's pre. But then things evolving can appear to have the element of randomness, but they are actually ordered. There's orderliness in random. I'm not saying about the formation of that. So there's orderliness in the randomness. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the universe as we see it, there's orderliness. Example, the air seems random right now. Yeah, this is good, good. Explain that. The air seems random. You can see it. So it's everywhere. But the air is composed of what chemicals? Water vapor, hydrogen, carbon dioxide, nitrogen, right? All this is what we call what? Air. Air. But what do we breathe as human beings? Oxygen. How do we know to only take oxygen out? Will the plant breathe oxygen? What did the plant breathe? Carbon dioxide. We don't breathe that, but the plant, but it's all in the air. So to us, it looks, it looks, everything's random, but there's a, there's a selection. There is God profound way of you knowing exactly, you cannot see it, but you can only take oxygen. The plants, some, some of them take nitrogen to grow, but it's all what? The air. So it might look random, right? You see air everywhere, but it's actually ordered. The composition is ordered. Does that make sense? And the orderliness is for a specific reason. Who knows where the ears of bees are? You know the bees? Who knows where the ears are? Exactly. The ears are on the legs. But you see them with air loose. It's to sense gravity. To sense the... So God has perfectly made all these things. House flies are very important. Without house flies, things would not decompose. Without things decomposing, there won't be food in the soil. Economic importance. So nothing just is is is. Wrong. So so a follow up to that, then, just from a logical standpoint, do scientists do research by random chance, or is it ordered? It's when you're a scientist, do you yeah. just go in your lab and just grab no, things and hope they all work out. Yeah. No. Explain. No. no. <laughs> They, so I've talked. So when you want to do experiment, it's not by random chance. You have to have basic fundamental understanding of what you want to work on. So like the universe, we have this solar system. Jupiter, like example, I told you, is a thousand times bigger than the Earth. So we can fold the Earth a thousand times. If this is what is do, the Earth 
is like no the whole plan is put together into the size of the dough is like a coin the sun is the rest mm-hmm. the sun that was all the nine planets will just be like a coin compared to the whole universe system so think about it but then within the solar system leave the sun alone 99.8% is the sun the rest of the planet is what we live in the earth the Jupiter but Jupiter is a thousand times bigger than the earth how many moons do we have on the earth one Jupiter has over 300 moons Right? So if they were just there random, they would have been going up and down, hitting us. But they are held by gravity that was discovered by Galileo and Isaac Newton, made possible by the telescope that Galileo discovered, helped him to see and then Einstein build the equations. So nothing again is they are ordered and they re- again you look at this Jupiter, the size is not coincident. It's huge, but it's all the way out there. Between, between the, the Earth, between Venus and Jupiter, is a meteorite zone. It's all the meteorites you're yeah, saying. Yeah, but God's so kind, the orbits of all the planets don't all sink together. So by the time giant meteorites are coming towards the earth, the heavy Jupiter is there to absorb them. That's why we don't see all these all this heavy eruptions happening because God has... Okay, I don't want to use God, but a superior force... <laughs> no, God aligned, is good. <laughs> yeah, has aligned all these things. So, yes, it is not... So, more of a, from a personal standpoint. So you spent uh, a lot of time at NASA... Okay. Um, While you were there, did you walk away more convinced of God's existence or less convinced of God's existence? You're spending your time with all of these scientists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're studying all of this. Mm -hmm. So when you walked away, do you do you feel more convinced of God's existence or less convinced after all that research and time? Uh, The first time, actually, I came back to my apartment after the first day of really been in the the thing we met with astronauts we're talking and i came back home i started crying to be honest with you i started so god why do we doubt you that was me you know i kind of because my my subject matter was jupiter so just learning that just gave me an awe and i went to revelation because in jupiter in the matrix of jupiter you have diamonds in there and I said, God says it, that the heavenlies is full of this precious stone. So he's right there in a liquidified form out there. All he can do is just rain them down. Mm-hmm. You know? So I said, what is man that that art mindful? That was a passage that came to my mind. So it made me even look at God in awesomeness. Mm-hmm. And then I was talking to one astronaut that has been to space over six, seven times. That's what he said. What do you think? He said, hey, once you leave this, he said, there's more chaos here. But once you go there, there's no way you will not say, there's God. You can, there's no way. Even them being suspended out there, just looking at the majesty of the whole thing, there's no way 
you can say. So most of the astronauts you see actually believe in God. Because you cannot have that experience and still stay the same. There's no way. Most people that do that, that argue all that is because they have not really learned the language or seen what other people have seen. What about the, what about the scientists, the NASA scientists? Because we were told, I mean, most people are told that most, like, almost every scientist is an atheist. You know what I mean? They're atheists yeah. because they, they truly understand, and if we truly understood, are, are the scientists at NASA all atheists? Are most of them atheists? No, the ones I have made, they don't get, doubt God. Just like our forefathers in science, the Einsteins of the world. Actually, Einstein was the most arrogant one. He said, separating science from God is as 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 stupid as separating God from science. That was Einstein. So that guy, he was so bold. He doesn't he doesn't miss words. But most of them that was spent time talking and all that, they have never never doubted God's existence. And one example of them is one tough scientist that says, I'm looking for life everywhere. There has to be, there has to be. But we came and found out that for for the human to exist in a planet, there has to be at least 200 and something factors have to work together. Okay? But there's no planet that 200 and something factors work together except the Earth. If you take all the planets together, let's say Mars is the closest but in Mars, there's no atmosphere, so there's no cloud in Mars. The temperature is the same all the time. There's no, in Mars, because there's no gravity, there's no, you can have a dust wind that can go 300 miles an hour for three months continuously, right? So in Mars, they, they found, so there are so many things that you cannot add 100, 200 and something pieces of elements to get, or reasons together before life can exist. There's no planet that has all those elements that has made it conducive for man except um, the earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I was thinking in reality, you still talk about reality and fantasy. In reality... Um, things look like they were designed. So my question, I, I keep thinking to myself, if they look like they were designed, then how, do they, how does the evolutionist know that they were not designed? So let me give you a few quotes. All right. These are, this is, uh, Richard Dawkins is an atheist and about, he's, uh, he's, you know, pretty famous, but he said, biology is the study of complicated things that have the appearance of having been designed with a purpose. And I want to say, Richard, because they were. And then Frederick Crick, Crick, the co-discoverer of the double helix structure of DNA, he wrote this. Listen to these words, okay? Biologists must constantly keep in mind that what they see was not designed, but rather evolved. You hear what I'm saying? They have to come read that again. Biologists must constantly keep in mind. Why must they, they must constantly keep in mind? They must constantly keep in mind that what they see was not designed, but rather evolved. Because what they see conflicts with their worldview and their research money, said the pastor sarcastically. <laughs> the problem for the problem, the problem for evolutionists is that there is too much design. There's too much design. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, 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 I agree in that. Especially the last statement, what they see. Write that statement, there's a limitation already. What you see. What you see. If I go to an optician and he asks me to read all that, what I see until I put on something, correct? Sometimes I might not see some things in italics. It does not mean it's not there. But when I put on my glasses, I can see now. So in the early scientists, they did not have the powerful microscope sometimes to see. So they are limited in scope with what they are even seeing. Mm-hmm. Okay? And the first guy is true. Biology is complicated, just like human beings is complicated. Right? The hair grow. We, we use only 10% of our intelligence. Okay? But look at the cone. A concept, you, you plant a cone, it looks complicated, it goes to the ground, but it comes back with a cone core. Excellent. Yeah, that, that was designed, and they put perfectly, right? Yeah, so that was designed. So the first guy is correct, the second guy, he's correct too, but he's limited. <laughs> well, that, it's just amazing how they can see something with their eyes recognize that it was designed but then deny yeah. it's being designed by a designer yeah. they just say no it's just it's just random chance they go yeah. back to random chance yeah. and so here, here i found this interesting if you have an archaeologist for example and he's digging and he finds some pottery okay and he points to a human designer of the pottery no one has any issue with that at all yet if someone attributes design in living things to a designer all heck breaks loose in the lab But there's so much more design in living things than there is even pottery. Yeah. The the living things or the universe is perfectly designed. And and the designer is the only one that has authority. If you design something, you will have authority because you have the manual. Example, we can get the tornado and all that. We cannot stop it, but we can predict where it's coming, right? But... Jesus, when there was wind, he commanded mm-hmm. because he was a designer. He said, "Stop!" and it what stopped. When the evil was coming, Satan was come do this, do this. What did he say? He said, "It is written." Mm-hmm. So if you can only seek to understand, to read the language of the universe, mm-hmm. which is God has encoded, we will only know that there's nothing that is not designed. Did you, you, you use the Isaac Newton example with yeah. his friend earlier? Yeah. I can't remember if it was first yeah. service or second service. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Isaac Newton brought a friend, an atheist friend. He designed a little boat and put it on his table. He was trying to convince this guy several times. And the guy would keep arguing. He had all this. So he left. He came to his house for coffee. So he had a little boat designed very well and kept it. The guy came home. I forgot his name. Oh, how did you do this? No. Who did this? I just came. <laughs> how did you? So the guy got angry. He wanted to smash some things in Isaac Newton's uh, living room. Isaac said, if you cannot believe that this nice boy just appeared, why wouldn't you believe that, you know, that somebody created complex you? So that was how he shut him out. Yep. So, so, so that's how... But because of lack of humility, to want to appear, I have to be right mentality, then that's the problem. 
place. Yeah, because that's why where I was saying earlier, it goes from a a scientific conversation to a philosophical conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So here's the thing for all of us. Every person here needs to answer the question. What do you believe is the first cause of all things? Mm -hmm. Okay. You have to answer that question. What do you believe is the first cause of all things? Do you believe that we evolved by, by random chance and that random chance created the universe? And you say, well, yeah, I believe that. that's what I'm taught. I'm taught random chance created. So let me just, let me just for a second walk through this with you for, for a moment, okay? Chance, chance does not cause anything to happen. Stop me if I'm saying anything unscientific, okay? Chance does not cause anything to actually happen. If I flip a coin, if I end up flipping a coin, the chance of getting heads or tails are 50-50, correct? Everybody understands that? So I pull out a coin, I flip it. The chance of getting heads or tails are 50-50. But what power, my question is, what power does chance have on the outcome? What power does chance have to actually cause that? Nothing, none, mm-hmm. no chance. Mm-hmm. You know why? Mm-hmm. Because chance is a non-thing. Mm-hmm. It is nothing. This is what they do to us in school or when we're, you know, when we're kind of discussing things. They say, well, no, no, it happened by chance. Mm-hmm. See, the word, the word by, okay, somehow they want to, they use the word by to give chance power to do something. So chance is nothing. What if I said to you right now, and I'm totally serious, it happened by magic. You'd all be like, by magic, you're just being, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So me saying it happened by magic and you saying it happened by chance is not ridiculous. Both are a non-thing. Both are nothing. Mm -hmm. It always comes back, my friends, it always comes back to something from nothing when you take God, the first cause, out of the equation. I don't, care what, I don't care what we're talking about. When you take God, the first cause, out of the equation, it all comes back to a non-thing, nothing. So you believe that nothing created everything when I have a scientist sitting here telling us all that that's not possible. He used the word with me last week, that's ridiculous. But somehow we're supposed to think that we're non-intellectual. Because we believe the first cause of all things is God. Abraham was explaining to me like the cup. If, you know, if the cup moves from here to here, there's a reason why it moved from there to there. It wasn't random. Random chance did not move the cup from here to here. There had to be a force behind it. That's scientific. Something happened to move the cup forward. The cup does not, over time or Mm -hmm. anything, Mm -hmm. it will sit there for eternity if something, some power, some force, does not move it. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, and and that's why so not there's nothing called chance, and there's nothing called nothing. That nothing is actually something, right? So we can start going round and round and say, is it half full or half empty? You can spend right. time just to find that. So example, sorry, Pastor Jay, he said, he said the most beautiful system of the sun planets could only proceed from the council and dominion of an intelligent and a powerful being. Think about how heavy the sun is. I told you 98% of the solar system is the sun. The sun, and I told you about the earth is um, Jupiter is a thousand times bigger than the earth. 
But the, the earth, over a million of the Jupiter can fit in the sun. Okay? That's how massive it is. But yet, God in his random, in his, in, his, in, his, in his majesty, can allow a ray of light to come and make our grapes to ripe. You, you think that's coincidence? No. It's, it's, he, he will, otherwise, the intensity of the heat will melt the crops on the field. Right? So it is not by randomness. It's ordered. And things grow. There's seasons. That's a beautiful way to to say that. It really is. You think about the the power of the sun. But God has designed the sun in such a way that just enough energy gets through, just enough light to Mm -hmm. ripen a grape. Yep. That's amazing. Can we, I'm going to, we're going to close there. I know Abe's going Abe's to stand around up here and talk to you a little bit if you'd like to after the service is over. But, you know, we're, we're going over. And I know the first service, they said, we just keep going. Let's just keep going. Um, maybe we'll, we'll have you back at some point and we will keep going. Okay. But let's bow our heads in a word of prayer on that. Just that beautiful picture. Father, thank you for being a God who can ripen a grape. The simplest things that we take for granted and we ignore We disrespect you for who you are and your majesty and your power. We somehow will believe that nothing can do something, that chance has power. But we won't submit ourselves sometimes to who you are and your power. So, Father, I just really want to end by saying thank you that you're so awesome, that you're so powerful, that you have created such order that the rays of light from the sun are perfect enough through you to ripen a grape. We love you. We praise you for it. We thank you for it. We thank you for everything you've given us. We want to take this day, Lord, even if we forget going forward in the week, can we just take this day and appreciate everything around us because you made it, you designed it, and you designed it for us and for your glory. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week. So Abe will be up here for a couple of minutes, Abe, right? Yeah. This is how it